Good morning, Servants Church. We're going to continue our study through the Gospel of Luke. We are in Luke chapter 1 still. We're going to look at verses 26 to 56. So if you want to find that in your Bibles or on your device, uh, I'm going to read just the first maybe four or five verses, and then we'll pray and we'll get into it. So that's Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 56. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26, I will read those first few verses, and then we'll pray. Luke writes, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city, a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what, what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And you will, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And Father, we pray that as we look at Jesus' story through Mary's story, that you would remind us, that you would help us to see how worthy Jesus is to be followed. We thank you, Lord, for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that even the most familiar sections of scripture can be breathed fresh life into us. And so we pray you would do that by your Holy Spirit. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I kind of imagine that Luke goes to Mary and he sits down with her with his scribe by his side. And he says, okay, Mary, tell me from the beginning, how did this happen? What was it like for the angel to come and tell you you're going to give birth to the Messiah? I like to imagine it this way because there's good evidence that Luke indeed got his information directly from Mary herself. And so I can imagine his excitement. Let's not forget who Luke is. Luke, who wrote this gospel, was kind of a missionary partner to the Apostle Paul. And so Luke had seen some pretty radical things done in the name of Jesus. Luke himself knew the crucified and resurrected Jesus that Paul had preached. And so here he is as he's trying to bring together this historical document, this, this history, this biography of Jesus Christ to benefit Theophilus, the lover of God, and those who would be in that same category. He, he goes to Mary directly and he says, tell me the story. And stories are powerful, aren't they? I mean, they're, they're, they're powerful because they, they connect strangers. Maybe he had not ever met Mary before the story, but in hearing how God interrupted her life, how God got her attention, how God called her to be uh, the, 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 the mother of the Savior of the world. I, that, that I can imagine that Luke's feeling a connection, that as she tells her story, he, sell, he sees parallels to his story about coming to know Jesus. But stories are also necessary. Uh, we, we actually don't, we tend not to incriminate people unless there's evidence from witnesses, eyewitness testimony, stories of what they saw happened. Stories are important. They're powerful. They're necessary. And what we see uh, this morning in Mary's story is something that actually does both for us. It, it gives us some evidence to believe. Yes, we can see that the evidence points strongly that Jesus was uh, a virgin conception. Uh, there's a supernatural uh, element to his conception. We also, though, see in Mary a great example. 
an example of someone who's persevering in faith. Sometimes we look at Mary and we either kind of want to dismiss her because of religious tradition, we think that fogs up things, or we want to too much, as religious tradition has done, exalt her and make her out to more than she's meant to be. What's important is for us to see, and I think this is what Luke wants to bring out, is in the very same way that, that Jesus became his savior, Jesus also became Mary's savior. And so as we look at her story, hopefully we're going to see that. We want to see today three ways that Mary's story is both evidence and example for us. So let's pick it up. Going back to those verses we talked about, we see what's going on is that Mary, as a virgin, is receiving a very a promise from God. The virgin receives the promise. Now, notice that, 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 that Luke goes to great lengths to make sure that we see this, that Mary was indeed a virgin. He says in verse 27 twice, to a virgin betrothed. And then he says, and the virgin's name was Mary. We see in, in Luke's testimony, going to verse 34, that Mary herself, when she speaks to the angel Gabriel, she says, how can I conceive? I'm a virgin. She knows where babies come from. She understands how this works, and she wonders how it goes. Now, there are some people might say, oh, this just means that she was an unmarried woman. But actually, here's what we know. We know that in the Greek language, which would have been the language that Luke wrote this down in, in the Greek language, there's two words for an unmarried woman. One simply means someone who's not married. It could have been someone who was married before and then was now a widow. But the other one is a word that means someone who's never been married, who specifically has never had intimate relationships with a man. It's that second word that Luke uses here three times. Now, this is important to understand because what God's doing here, what, what the Holy Spirit's doing here through Luke, what Luke wants us to see is not so much uh, Mary's moral commitment to save herself from marriage, as honorable as that is. But what, what he wants us to see, what Luke wants us to see, is understanding there's something supernatural that's going to happen here. This is not just a story made up that, that, that kind of theologians have gone wild with. This is something from the very beginning of the Christian faith was established, that Jesus' conception was supernatural. And so is there something else that we need to rec recognize here as well? That, that it says that, that when the angel's addressing Mary, he says, Mary, he calls her the favored one. And then when she responds like, whoa, what, why are you saying this to me? He says to her, God has had favor with you. Now the word for favored there both times is, is the same word, basically, the same basic word as this New Testament word, grace. Grace. This is important because what we see happening here is that Mary is being related to by God, not because she's a virgin, not because she's without sin, as some traditions want to say. God's relating to her by grace. She gets what she doesn't deserve, just like me and you. Grace, God's unmerited favor, God's supernatural enabling, grace. This is how God's relating to Mary. So let's pick it back up in verse 31. The angel Gabriel says to Mary, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and his name he shall, you shall call his name Jesus. Now I should say too that um, both Mary and Jesus were very common names, okay, as they actually are today. But since you shall call his name Jesus, verse 32, he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? Now this is interesting. Because here we have 
the angel is being really clear to Mary about what's going on. He's confirming to Mary, listen, this child is going to be the chosen Messiah, and his reign as God's chosen king, the Messiah, is going to be eternal. He makes that really clear. But also, when Mary says, how's this going to happen? I'm a virgin. I know where babies come from. Look at what his answer is. Look at verse 34 and 35. 35. And the angel answered and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Do you see what the angel is saying to Mary? Mary, you, you, you rightly recognize that this can't happen unless there's supernatural intervention. And guess what? That's exactly what God's going to do. And it's that supernatural intervention that makes the child itself supernatural. Now, what we see here is it's really clear that, that Luke is wanting the readers to recognize Jesus is the human king of Israel. He's the chosen king. He's a human descendant of David. He's 100% man but also that he's also God, the Son of God. Now, we don't know for sure that Mary would have understood all these theological truths at this point, or, you know, but the truth is by the time Luke writes this stuff, she's getting it. She's understanding what's happened when he's putting down this story. The point is, though, that God is promising that she will give birth to his chosen king. There's no doubt about that. Verse 36. So then it says, and behold, your relative, this is kind of like the angel saying, here's, a, here's some proof text for you. Here's, a, here's some extra confirmation for you. He says, behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. So Mary takes the angel at his word. Now, now, why does she do this? Well, Mary knew what the scripture said. Uh, she understood that there was a biblical precedent for when God does a new thing, he starts with a supernatural birth. We saw that a little bit uh, a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the predictions and the prophecies about John the Baptist's birth. But also she would have known this from way back, say, in Genesis chapter 18. God, when he starts to build his covenant people, he chooses Abram and Sarai, who are older and have no children. And he makes a promise to Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Through Sarah, you're going to give, have a child, and those, that child's going to have many descendants. Here's how it's going to work. And of course, many years pass by. And finally, when God sends an angel to reiterate that message to Abraham and Sarah, Sarah hears that and kind of chuckles. And then the angel says to her, is anything too hard for the Lord? This is Genesis 18, 14. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Now, Mary would have known that story. She would have known this can happen. And so when the angel Gabriel comes and says, this is what God's going to do. God's going to bring his Messiah. You're a descendant of David. Therefore, you qualified to give birth to the Messiah. God's done things supernaturally before. Therefore, you can trust this. What does Mary say? I trust it. I take God at his word. Now, let, let's talk about how we should respond to this, how we should apply this to us. See, like Mary, we can trust that God has sent his chosen king. Mary believed God would do that, and she was believing that God was doing that through the child that she would supernaturally conceive. And we need to understand that this is not Mary showing blind faith. 
There's a big difference between blind faith and biblical faith. Blind faith is when we sincerely uh, want something, and so we believe for that. We're believing because we sincerely want something. That's blind faith. It can be very sincere. It can be very passionate. It can move you to do uh, amazing things and make great commitments, but it's blind faith. You just want something. Biblical faith, listen, is believing because you you sincerely trust someone. You trust someone. In Mary's case, she's trusting the message of the angel. More so, she's trusting the God who sent the message. She's trusting the God of Scripture who's confirming His Word through this. We see this happening all throughout Scripture. In another gospel, in John's gospel, there's a situation where uh, these two sisters, Mary and Martha, they lose their brother Lazarus. He dies. And so Jesus specifically delays his his coming to them, even though they had sent a message to Jesus saying Lazarus is sick. He delays and waits until Lazarus is dead. And so when Jesus goes into the scene, he sees the sister Martha, and here's what happened. Martha says, well, Lord, if you would have been here, he wouldn't be dead. And Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to Jesus, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Do you see this? In the interaction that that Martha had had with with Jesus in that John 11 passage, she was thinking, Lord, you could do this. I sincerely want you to resurrect my brother, and I know that you can. And Jesus says, well, he will resurrect. Yeah, okay, I know someday everyone resurrects, Jesus said, or, or Martha says. And Jesus says, well, listen, do you believe who I am? Do you believe I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe me? You see, this is biblical faith. Biblical faith is not us understanding everything, but nor is it blind faith just saying, I really want this to be true. Biblical faith is saying, I see the person of Jesus and I trust what he says. So the question you have to ask yourself is, do you believe what Jesus says about himself? See, Christianity isn't about uh, living a good moral life, though it does change the way we live. Christianity isn't just about uh, making sacrifices for other people, though because he sacrificed himself for us, we want to do that for other people. Christianity is about Christ. It's about Jesus. It's about trusting him. Do you believe that he is who he said he is? Mary would come to believe that the, the womb, the baby in her womb, was also her savior. So the virgin receives the promise in the very same way that we receive the promise of God through his word. And the question is, will we believe it? So what happens next? The Holy Spirit confirms the promise. And this is an experience we can have as well. Look at verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. In other words, she hears the angel. The angel says she's blazing over to her her, her relative's house uh, to, to find out what's going on. And verse 40 says, Then she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now remember, this is before the days of internet and telephones. And so basically, you either sent a letter that took forever and was very expensive to send, or if you wanted to find out if something was true or communicate with somebody, you had to go where they were. And so here's, here's Mary just receiving this news. That, that, that she's probably already supernaturally conceived, which is interesting because 
There's no kind of sparks flying or anything. It's just, it happens. The angel says, and it happens. And <clears throat> what happens is, is that as she goes, she makes this, this travel to, to this, uh, her cousin Elizabeth's house. As she enters in the, into the room, boom, Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit. And as we're going to see, she knows something about Elizabeth, I mean, something about Mary, that she couldn't possibly have known naturally. Now, this is important for us because I, I want you guys to notice that this is what's going on is Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit. God the Spirit is doing something in Elizabeth at this time. It's not just that God had promised that she would give birth to the forerunner of the Messiah, to John the Baptist. That was great. That was grand. But this is something fresh, something new that God's doing for this moment, something that God's doing through Elizabeth for the benefit of Mary. What happens in verse 42? And so Elizabeth exclaims with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted fruit to me that, the notice, the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now, think about this. Elizabeth here, filled with the Spirit, she, she is acknowledging that the, the child in the womb of Mary is her Lord, even as an embryo. This, the smallest thing you can think of as a child in her womb, he's Lord even at that point. I want you to think about that for a second. I want you to think about that from, the, from a theological standpoint, what that says about our God, that our God would become the most vulnerable of human beings to relate to every single one of us. But also, I want you to think about what this means as far as God's working through Elizabeth for Mary's benefit. Elizabeth, filled with the Spirit, knows something supernaturally that she couldn't have known. She knows, one, that Mary's pregnant. Her virgin, unmarried cousin is pregnant. She knows this. Two, she knows that this baby in her womb is the Messiah, God's chosen king. How does she know this? By the power of the Spirit. The reason I wanted to bring this out is, is what we're going to see what Elizabeth is doing through this. Why the Holy Spirit's empowering her to do this. Look at verse 44. For behold, uh, Elizabeth continues, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. That's baby John the Baptist, okay? And blessed, and she says, and blessed is she who believed, this is Elizabeth saying to Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Remember, Gabriel said to Mary, Mary, listen, here's, here's a, a confirmation. You're going to go see your cousin. She's with child. So, so, so Mary's thinking, I got to prove this. I got to see this is true. So she bolts to her cousin's house. As soon as she opens the door, boom, Elizabeth is filled with the spirit, begins to speak what we'd call a word of knowledge and confirms to her, yes, the Lord has you and the Lord is doing this work and you're blessed to believe it. Right? Now, here's the point. The Holy Spirit is confirming this promise. And I'm not trying to say that, that uh, this, this same exact experience is going to happen for all of us. Obviously, only, only Mary can be the mother of the Savior. None of us is going to have that kind of experience, especially none of us guys, okay? It's just not going to happen. But, but the truth is, okay, the truth is that God's doing something supernatural to confirm Mary's faith. This is what the Lord does for us. This is how this applies to us, how we can respond to this. Like Mary, listen, we can expect God to confirm His Word through other Spirit-filled believers, this is why it's so important that we're together, that we keep our contact. Because we can read God's scripture and we should be reading God's word, but we also need to be filled with God's spirit so we can help one another be confirmed that we can indeed trust what God has said. Now, here's what's interesting. 
when the Holy Spirit works, he's always working, listen, to turn our affections towards Christ and to empower us to help others. This is a really important thing. Because when we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, especially the supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit, sometimes we can get excited about, ooh, that would be cool. I'd love to have that buzz. That would be amazing. And we're kind of like, do you remember the story of Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8? Simon seems to have a legitimate conversion, and he sees uh, Philip the evangelist doing supernatural things. He's like, ooh, that looks cool. Hey, give me that power. I'll tell you what, I'll give you 30 grand for that power. He wants to pay for it. And of course, Peter says, dude, what are you doing? You know? You, 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 your money perish with you, he says. You better deal with God because there's a, some serious bitterness in your heart. He rebukes him harshly. Why? Because God doesn't want us to see the power that he wants to bring by his spirit as something that we get for ourselves so we can have this tingly experience. No. When God comes upon Elizabeth, fills Elizabeth with the Holy Spirit, it's for Mary's benefit. Listen to what the scripture says about the filling of the spirit. Listen, Ephesians chapter 5. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Literally, in the Greek language, it's be being filled with the Spirit. Let this be a continual experience. But be, be, be filled with the Spirit, addressing, notice, one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord uh, with your heart, giving thanks and for, every, uh, and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice again, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do you see those two things going on when the Holy Spirit fills us? Our affections are turned toward God. God, we want to thank you. We want to praise you. We, we want to make your glory known. What else happens? We want to do that for the benefit of those around us. Now, let's get really practical with this. Okay, we, we, again, we know this is showing us something supernatural about Christ's birth, this whole narrative, all of Mary's story. But also, this is an example to us. As you continue in your daily New Testament reading, and I hope you guys are, are sticking to that. As you continue, can, can I ask you to add one more thing, to consider adding one more thing, besides saying, what does this tell me about Jesus, and how should I trust Him? Also say, Lord, show me, give me something that I can send to somebody else. I can call someone and say, I read this, I thought about you, or just an encouraging word, or maybe it's just the scripture prompts you towards a thought of encouragement towards somebody else. But then share that with somebody. Because when God speaks to you, it is for you, but it's also for others. When God fills you with His Holy Spirit, it's not for just your benefit, it's for the benefit of others. And, you, and here's the thing, you know when God's filled you with the Spirit because your heart is turned towards Jesus and your desire is to bless other people. This is what God's calling you to. Now, let's get to the last bit. We see this is what's called in verses 46 to um, verse 56 or verse 55. This is what's called the magnificent, which comes from a Latin word uh, that starts in the beginning of this song of praise that uh, Mary responds with. Because this Mary, this mother of Jesus, what does she do? The virgin responds in worship. Let's not forget she's still a virgin at this point. She's carrying the savior of the universe in her womb, but she's still a virgin. There's still a lot of heavy things she's going to have to go through, but what does she do? Because she believes God's word, she responds in worship. Look at verse 46 to 50. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She's speaking of herself. 
For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. We sing a song like that, right, that our brother Neil wrote. Miss Neil. Love you, Neil, if you're watching. And he says, and in his mercy is for those, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Notice what Mary's doing here. She's rejoicing in the God who gives grace to the humble. Mary, when, when she has the angel come and say, oh, favorite woman of God, she's like, what? What's up with this? Who are you? She, she's, she comes back because she, she thinks, well, I'm nobody special. Why would God want to give me this kind of honor? Why would God want to do this great thing for me? I'm nobody special. That's humility. Recognizing that we're just common people. We're, we're sinners like anybody else. And God honored that. God blessed her for that. And she's rejoicing that, God, you've done this great thing for me. Not because I deserve it, but because you're so full of grace. You've graced me with this privilege. You give grace to the humble. But what else does she say? Notice in verses 51 to 55 that she now goes from just saying how blessed I am to how blessed the people of God are. He says, God has shown, she says, God has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away uh, empty. For he has helped to serve in Israel and in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Do you notice how, what she's doing here? As she talks about kind of two categories of people which is a scripture always seems to do. There's two categories of scripture in, uh, uh, two categories of people in the scripture. One is, one is, are those who are the covenant people of God who believe what God has said about himself and about those who will trust him and those who won't. Those are the divisions. Now, she uses language of rich and poor, weak and, and strong, but she's not saying that if you're rich, you can't be part of the covenant people of God or if you're weak and poor, you're automatically part of the covenant people of God. That's not what she's saying. What she's wanting to get across is this idea of weak and, and strong, rich and poor. These were the, sort of the, um, the framework for how justice got done or didn't get done in society. Not that different than it is today. And what she's wanting to say, what she's praising God for, is she's basically proclaiming, I believe in the God who will bring justice for his people. This is important. Because what we've seen happen over the centuries is critics of Christianity, of the God of Scripture, have said, if your God's so good, why has he allowed so much suffering in the world? Now, it's interesting because this is usually brought out when someone has personal suffering. And it's important for us to recognize that Mary here is not just kind of like in, in some spiritual high where now everything's wonderful for me. We're, we'll talk about some of her difficulties in a minute. But it's also important for us to, to recognize that, that what's happening here is Mary is recognizing that what, what's taught throughout all the Scripture, Old and New Testament, that God is a God of justice, that nobody gets away with their sinful behavior, that no suffering is in vain for those who know him and trust him, none. And what we see, not just in Mary, but in her blessed son that comes from her, our Savior and Lord Jesus, is a God who's willing to enter into our suffering 
not just so he can have compassion on us but, or, or so that he can relate to us, but because he is going to resolve our suffering through that. Mary's believing this, at least in some way, that God's going to bring this to pass. This is worship. Worship rejoices in the God who gives grace, but worship also believes in the God who will bring justice. That's worship. Lastly, it says in verse 56, And Mary remained with her, that's with Elizabeth, about three months, and she returned to her home. I want you to think about this practically. It probably would have taken Mary maybe about a month to travel from Nazareth to the foothills of Judea if she traveled on foot. It would have taken quite a time. She probably would have had some people with her to bring her there, maybe some older male cousins or something. But she, she gets there, and she's only less than a month pregnant, so she's not even showing. That just kind of underscores the supernaturalness of what happens through Elizabeth. But she stays for three months, so by the time she goes back, She's four months pregnant. The time she gets back, she's probably closer to five months pregnant. And as you remember from uh, last time, that uh, uh, Elizabeth had kept her pregnancy secret till the fifth month. And the reason being is by the fifth month, it's kind of hard to keep it secret. And so here it is. Mary's going back to her hometown pregnant, showing pregnant. She has to wait that God's going to, she has to believe that God's going to sustain her through the comments and the sideways glances. She has to believe that God's going to work in Joseph's heart so he'll still want to marry her. She has to believe that somehow this supernatural thing that God did, that everyone's going to think she's nuts for holding, sticking to that story, that somehow God's going to use that. This is faith. This is persevering faith. She's got to wait on God who keeps her promise. This is worship. This is worship. Can you see how Mary's a great example for us? This simple girl from a simple family from a no-name town of Nazareth. We all know Nazareth because we know the Bible stories and we love Christmas, but Luke has identified as Nazareth in Galilee. And if you remember from the other Gospels, they said, you know, I think it was, um, I can't remember which disciple it was who said, I think it was Nathaniel who said, can anything good come from Nazareth? But she's got to go back there as this pregnant unmarried girl and trust that God's going to keep his promises. See, let's talk about how this, how we can respond to this. See, like Mary, we should worship in joyful, patient faith. Lord, we're yours now and we rejoice in you now that you are so good we can trust you. Lord, we believe you can bring justice. Lord, we believe you will bring justice. We, we move towards justice. We want to fight for justice. But we recognize, Lord, until you come back, until you, you, the Messiah reigns here, there's not going to be perfect justice. But we trust you to bring it. And Lord, we, we want to wait for your promises. We want to believe that you're going to give us what you said you're going to give us. You're going to do for us what you said you're going to do for us. Can you see how this is an example for us? Can you see how this is evidence that we should believe in Jesus? I want you to think about this, and we'll, we'll close with this. Mary was there when Jesus was crucified. We'll see this many weeks in the future when we get to that passage. 
Mary was there. She was around as Jesus is being arrested. All she would have had to say is, stop, don't kill my son. It's a lie, I made it up. Stone me for adultery, but don't kill my son. That's all she would have had to do if it was a lie. Any of you mothers who are watching, would you be able to watch your child be crucified? Would you be able to do that? Would you be able to do that if you knew it was a lie he was cruci being crucified for something that wasn't true? No, none of us could. There's no parent on earth who could, who could patiently do that. No, Mary knew that the Jesus she had held in her womb for nine months and gave birth to as a virgin and raised and watched be this ideal son and did things that she wasn't sure how to respond to, as we'll see in future weeks. This Jesus lived a sinless life and died a perfect death and rose from the dead. This Mary was there at Pentecost when God sent His Holy Spirit, as well as were Jesus' brothers. Why? Because she knew this was all true. Mary is both a confirmation that we can trust Jesus and an example of what it looks like to trust Jesus. Let's follow that example, amen? Father, thank you so much that we have these great examples in Scripture, Lord, and that by the, you're the same Holy Spirit that, that did this work in Mary and in Elizabeth, by that same Holy Spirit, Lord, your Holy Spirit, you can work in us to make us the kind of examples and the kind of encouragements that we get from them. Father, do this. Oh, Lord, help us not to just see this as some sweet Christmas story, but gospel truth that Mary's story is so much like our story. You interrupt our lives when we're not even thinking about it. You give us a great promise. You work by your Holy Spirit. You bring life where there was no life, and you teach us to follow Jesus. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you, Father, are writing the perfect story. And even though we're in a chapter when there's a lot of suffering going on, Soon and very soon, we know how it ends. There'll be an earth where righteousness dwells. And so, Lord, help us to take Mary's story and apply it to our story and give thanks that we are now in your story. Please, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do us a favor. If, if you are in a place where you're just maybe thinking about this Jesus stuff. What does it mean to trust Him? Maybe this Christmas message, so to speak, has really opened your eyes to this is more than just a story. If you need prayer or if you have questions or if you indeed have made a decision to follow Jesus, can you send us a note? Can you let us know that that's happened? Just You can answer down below if you're watching on YouTube right now or you can send us, you can go to our website and send us a, a, a note through the contact page. But we want to hear from you and want to pray for you. God bless. We'll see you soon.